Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome to Making Data Simple. This is Al Martin here. The title outlines our purpose. I am not exactly certain when this will air. However, I hope everyone out there listening is healthy, safe, and staying positive. I am actually broadcasting from my office in my basement because the world is in quarantine uh, because of COVID-19. On the phone, I have Christine Livingston. She is the Managing Director and Chief Strategist at uh, Proficient. Uh, she leads artificial intelligence at Proficient, but I'll let her introduce herself in just a moment. Thank you, Christine, for being here. I hope you are staying healthy. You're in New York, right? I am. I'm just outside of New York. So one of the hot spots at the moment. For... I was going to say there's uh, I, I see the governor on TV all day long saying, hey, to these meddling kids to, to, to pay attention to this. This is serious. We got to get indoors. But uh, I presume that you're you're abiding by the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly am. Although we were down at our shore house last weekend, we actually received the stay off the beaches notice. Were there people on the beaches? Yeah, there were people. Apparently people were throwing parties on the beaches. So <laughs> oh, well, that's, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your experience, if you don't mind. And then I'd like to talk to you about Proficient, you know, what it does, what it specializes, where the sweet spot in Proficient is, and then uh, your role there. My background is actually in engineering, formally educated as a mechanical engineer. So I've always loved thinking through new problems, innovative ways to approach scenarios, options presented to you. And about five years ago now, I took that interest in innovation and tinkering and created at the time an artificial intelligence, very small practice, five people got our foot in the door, um, started with text analytics and natural language processing. And over the past five years, that technology has obviously exponentially grown and the opportunities have accelerated very rapidly as well. So I'm now leading our formalized AI and data science COE focused on helping our customers bring their data to life, use it in intelligent and innovative in different ways. And I'm still using that engineering critical thinking mindset to help solution first of a kind applications leveraging AI. Nice. Could you tell us a little bit more about Proficient as a company though? Sure. So Proficient is a leading digital transformation company. We have about 3,000 colleagues worldwide focusing specifically on digital strategy and digital transformation with dedicated practice areas focused on data, cloud adoption, management consulting. We've got about 30 offices throughout the U.S. and global delivery centers in India and China, as well as some nearshore facilities in Mexico. Just about $500 million a year in revenue had a record-breaking year in 2019. I got to ask you, how are you dealing with all the COVID-19? Is everybody working from home right now? Everyone is working from home. It's interesting in the world of consulting in that everyone is used to working remotely, but usually on-site. Our network has held up, our VPN has held up, our WebEx and teleconference services are all staying strong. 
So I've recently taken over services for data and AI, and I, I have the same experience. At first, it's you know kind of going into the unknown, but so far it's so good. A very few situations where we could not work remotely. The one thing I think that may change, I don't know if you agree with me here, is how we virtually work with one another. I think a lot of the companies are going to look, hey, that worked out pretty well. Uh, maybe we don't need to do all the traveling that we've been done in the past. Are, are you thinking the same or uh, are you on a different wavelength? I certainly think it will change the face of the typical consultant work-life balance, right? I think we'll see far fewer companies asking for five days a week on-site presence and probably being a little bit more strategic and the on-site opportunities. I'm sure there will still be some travel, but I would expect it to decrease as well. I'm sure there are still certain key meetings that it's nice to have face-to-face for that hopefully once this all subsides, we'll be back to that cadence. Yeah, I tend to think it will. I think if I was the airlines right now, I'd be a little bit concerned because I'm not sure it's ever going to return to where it was, at least for for, for some time. We actually had a, a client the other day, you know, given I do consulting and services as well, that we had arranged a uh, design thinking class. And I think the assumption was, hey, that must be done on site. And so they originally canceled and we said, hold on. I mean, we've got a lot of technology here that we can leverage and it turned out to be one of the best classes that we've had by their own admission. Times are, are changing. We'll see how it goes. Uh, and maybe I'll ask you a few more questions in a minute. Your educational background is in engineering, physics and mechanical engineering, correct? That is correct. So you didn't like electrical? I mean, you, you, I did. I did not tough. like electrical. The circuit, the circuit design was, you know, I could only program in so many zeros and ones. <laughs> you you wouldn't be able to guess what I might have graduated in, would you? <laughs> electrical. Uh, electrical. Yes, there of course. Go. So, how do you go from engineering physics and mechanical engineering to AI? What's that path look like? I'm still not clear. I've always loved problem solving. A lot of the engineering education is really focused on taking big problems, breaking them down, thinking through step-by-step critically and analytically how you might solve that problem, given what we already know, what's already been accomplished, as well as new ways to do the same thing. And so I started my career focused on At the time, enterprise content management and business process management solutions. So again, taking big enterprise problems, how do we store and manage our company's data and leverage it effectively? How do we make it accessible? And started in that space doing initially delivery, executing on projects, moving eventually to more of a solutioning and technical support role. So looking to create those new ways to do old things in a more technical pre-sales capacity and then started working in what was known at the in back in the day as IBM content analytics what is now known today as natural language processing a core foundational element of artificial intelligence and continued to learn about new technologies again still thinking that you know new ways to do old things the ways that we can really bring data to life using some of this new and emerging technology. I'm interested in where you think customers are in this adoption curve and where they'll be essentially in a couple of years from now, where we're headed, what's working, what's not. One of the interesting things we've seen happen over the last five years, so there's a ton of data out there stating that 
AI adoption has tripled in the past three years, right? So it's really becoming, you know, less of a POC, POT, let's dip our toe in the water, see if maybe it feels nice and see what we can do to really meaningful enterprise transformation. And it's becoming more accessible, right? Five years ago, you were looking at companies who had millions of dollars to invest in first-of-a-kind solutions to today. We're talking about you know, much smaller scale companies and organizations leveraging some of the same technology. And so in terms of adoption curve, I think we're seeing, you know, less uh, skepticism around what some of these technologies are and what they can do. And there's more of a focus around true business value. I'll say that's one of, I think, the best things that's happened in the past few years was rather than customers saying, you know, I, I need Watson or I need AI and, and just not even knowing what they were looking to accomplish, right? Just trying to check a box for their CIO. We've seen customers recognizing that it has to be a business-led effort and you have to be driving toward a meaningful business goal. And so we've seen an increase in adoption as companies are more focused on business outcome and business results and more closely partnering within business and IT organizations. And so I think that will certainly continue to be a trend. I still think we're at the very beginning of virtual agents and chatbots or digital assistants, whatever you want to call it or think about it. Um, but we've started to really see that they can drive meaningful, human-like, empathetic interactions. And we're just still in the very beginning, I believe, of adopting and scaling those technologies. And I think that will continue to be a huge trend over the next couple of years. Yeah, I agree. By the way, Watson Assistant, from a, um, a bot perspective, you know, we've been able to use it here internally to IBM. And you know, we're to nearly 80% uh, self-help and 20% assisted in, in support. So it can transform support. But speaking of, you talk about empathy, not quite to that extent, but let's talk a little bit about some of the work you've done around uh, natural language processing, NLP, because 20% of data is usable. The other 80% is unusable, uh, maybe even invisible. Well, it, it helps to have NLP to, to mine, analyze, and understand textual data. What have you, uh, what is your experience in that space? Uh, over the last five years? I think we've seen, again, a couple of patterns emerge in terms of what customers are leveraging natural language processing for. And as you alluded to, there's a couple of different specific applications of natural language processing that we have seen. And I think you can think of it, some of the common patterns we've seen are text classification, uh, where you're looking to group information and separate text in a classification categorization way or entity extraction, which is where you're looking to transform unstructured data to structured data elements. We often do this so that we can leverage downstream predictive analytics and machine learning models, which are not built to leverage unstructured data. Um, question answer systems, which I would distinguish a little bit from a virtual agent capability because it's really more just about understanding the intent or the purpose of a question and surfacing back a simple answer. So this would be like a very basic chatbot, and then some sentiment analysis capabilities. And then a more interesting thing that I think we'll see explode as well is leveraging natural language processing for language translation rather than just you know a word for word or phrase by phrase translation, trying to really get into the meaning and create more harmonious logical translations. Entity extraction is providing probably the most 
business value. And this is where we've done, we've done some really interesting work in healthcare. We've leveraged natural language processing to read through the EMR. So for example, if you think about when you go see your physician and you fill in your intake form and you've got 20 different checkboxes where you're going to say, you know, I'm 37 years old and I have a history of asthma and diabetes and, you know, you're going to fill out all those different elements. They're all structured data points that your physician can use, but then you're going to actually sit down and have a conversation with them about why you're there and what your family history may be. And you'll really express, you know, the reason for your visit, your concerns, and what you're hoping to accomplish. And all that information is stored when your physician enters his notes about your visit. And we've done a lot of work with natural language processing to read through those notes at scale and do things like patient disease state identification or, again, predictive readmissions understanding how likely you are to present with a secondary state, or even looking at opportunities to help provide more personalized care for patients. So understanding perhaps patients can't afford medication or they can't, um, they don't have transportation to get to their physician site. So leveraging that power to read through those notes and that input at scale, we've been able to create some really meaningful healthcare applications, um, particularly. What area is providing the most business value? We've done a lot of that at entity extraction. Entity extraction. Oh, yep. I see. And, and why do you say that? You can do a lot of the, the downstream analytics. In order to fully automate a lending cycle, you need to pull out key elements, key data elements from a huge piece of content. What's the APR? What's the amount financed? What's the payment term? Who is the primary lien holder? Is there a co-borrower? You think about all that information that exists across multiple documents. In order to automate that process, you have to be able to pull out those discrete data elements, right? And so leveraging natural language processing, we can read those financial documents at scale and pull out key entities. If I'm a client, what should my expectations be in terms of how long it's going to take me to, from start to finish to implement and see that value? If you're willing to right-size your solution, <laughs> which is a, a critical element, um, you know, we've seen value typically. Well, hold on, I got to stop you. <laughs> what do you mean by, go ahead and clarify, right-size your solution? So so let's say you take a digital mailroom scenario. Yeah. You might have a thousand different pieces of information that could possibly come in that feed, you know, 300 different business processes. Right. If you're looking to automate all of those on day one, it's going to take you a while. If you, however, say, here's some critical functions, processes, and data types that come in. Let's focus on those first you can deliver meaningful value again in about a three to six month window is typically the sweet spot we aim for. Three to six months. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Very good. <laughs> hey, I'm starting to think that uh, you're not doing too much mechanical engineering anymore. <laughs> uh, I am. I am. And fortunately, I am not. <laughs> have you have you ever done mechanical engineering? The reason I asked that question I mean, in, in all fairness, is I graduated electrical engineering and I went straight into software. I can honestly say I probably have done next to zero, but it, it taught me how to learn, right? And it taught me how to, mm -hmm. to solve problems. Uh, but I went straight into software. Uh, did you do much the same or did you start with mechanical? 
Um, I did actually start with with mechanical. So I started my career in the automotive industry. Oh, really? And I actually was working on designing elements for your steering column. So believe it or not, there are hundreds of elements that go into something as simple as your steering wheel and all the mechanisms that allow you to shift and tilt and turn your blinker on. Um, and so I started my career on steering column part design and manufacturing, and then went to get my master's degree. And following my master's degree, I've been in software ever since. So when you're in a car, you're driving, you're looking at it different than everybody else. You're saying, hey, this isn't working the way it should. I know I designed this better. <laughs> it's been, it's actually been a long time now, <laughs> but, but yes, that is, that is to some extent true. All right. So speaking of looking back, I know you're a principal at TriTech. Uh, could you contrast some of the main differences you've seen between your earlier work in what you refer to as enterprise content management and the business pro process management solutions that you're seeing now in the field of AI? Sure. So one of the reasons that I actually really pursued artificial intelligence is a no knock to, to ECM, but it's a very mature space. Right. Enterprise content management has been around for decades. It's been a known need. It's a very established platform with very known patterns, deployment cycles. And there's really not a lot of active investment or opportunity there. Right. It's a commodity at this point. And one of the things that I really, again, my engineering mindset has always been, let's learn, let's think about something new, think about something innovative and something different. And, you know, going from a career where it was really working on very mature technology and that certainly still some interesting solutions and applications, but very mature technology um, to a rapidly evolving, continually changing space. You know, it's just been a much more dynamic pace and the, the rate of change is infinitely greater <laughs> than it was, uh, you know, on the content management space. So it's always a challenge to stay up to date. Just keeping up is, you know, in and of itself a full-time job, but it's really exciting to be part of a space that's being so actively invested in and that's just changing and evolving so quickly. So a comment and a question. The comment I have is, I, I hear you on the enterprise content management at the same time. I don't, I still see clients struggling with content management as much as they ever did, maybe more so with so much data. So I, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of there are solutions that exist and it can be a commodity, but my goodness, clients need to leverage that, that commodity because today they're still struggling. How do you stay up to date? How do you do it? Um, certainly not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot to be desired, um, but I have a great team of people as well that are continually monitoring, you know, technical advancements, latest and greatest. We've got some internal, um, you know, machine learning book clubs and various hackathons and activities to look at new technologies. Um, one of the simplest ways I've done it, though, is just to create simple Google alerts. I get an email digest um, every morning of latest and greatest announcements and news articles that come out following some of the major players in the space. Um, but it's really a combination of monitoring news, reading latest and greatest updates, and working closely with our software partners to see what they're working on when 
new technology will be announced and released as well as working on some internal R&D projects within our team as well. Very good. So Google alerts, internal, do you, do you get get involved with the competitions? Are you actually writing code? I am certainly not. No one, it's been over a decade since I have written a line of code. I don't think anyone wants my hands on the keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same same with me. Same with me. I just, I'd, I'd create more, more harm than good. I think at that, at that point, but it is tough. Do you set time a day to, uh, specifically study, to learn, to to read through the articles you're referring to? Usually spend a little bit of time in the morning. Once I get that digest, I'll scroll through and usually just spend a little bit of time every morning. Um, I will say clients always keep you on your toes as well as mm-hmm. we're actively solutioning and looking at new ways to do things. You know, Often there will be research that goes into each and every client opportunity and looking at what's emerged since the last time we looked at that pattern and if there's a new way to do it. So there's also a decent amount of learning and education that goes into solutioning with customers. Well, thank you so much, Christine, for being here. I, I've got a couple more personal questions for you that are, if you don't mind me asking here in a bit, uh, anything that uh, we missed? I personally have had great opportunity at Proficient to pursue some of my my passions. And I think it's just an, it's an exciting place to work. We're rapidly changing, mm-hmm. rapidly growing, um, increased focus on, you know, digital strategies, leveraging data and AI. So I think there's a lot more to come. Very good. Hey, I got a couple quick questions for you. So this is like the get to know Christine section before we sign off. You ready? What are you most curious about right now? Well, COVID-19, you know, what, where will we be? Nice. <laughs> well, is the world ending? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's, a, that's a softball, isn't it? <laughs> Given where we are today. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, My prediction is the world is not ending. And uh, those that uh, are able to keep emotional stability right now, can uh, do very well for themselves. And then it's, it's kind of like I often follow uh, Warren Buffett and uh, the, the dude, the, he makes, you know, since I think 1965, his average return is, is I don't think people understand how astounding it is. It's 20.5%, but on average, oh the market's goodness. anything between five and 7%. I think the way he does it is like right now, as I look at the market, actually the market's up a little bit today, but it's been, you know, tumbling, tumbling, tumbling. He looks at that as opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. So where everybody's emotional and everybody's uh, fearful, he's greedy. And when everybody's uh, greedy, uh, he's fearful. I mean, this he, another quote that he has that I like is, this is when you find out uh, who's wearing pants when the tides goes out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, um, nice. So I get it. Anything else about AI that you're cur- curious about right now? Um, I'm curious. I'm really interested to see where where we'll be in just a couple of years. It's hard to predict even being immersed in the space. It's hard to predict where exactly we'll be and the capabilities that will have developed in just a few years. So I'm really interested to see the progression as well as, you know, there's been, I think, a lot of focus on ethical AI and creating meaningful boundaries. And I'm sure we'll see much more to come in the way of, you know, established guidelines and principles leveraging AI and ML, which will certainly be a, a very interesting, you know, more human element to the technology. I'm with you on ethical AI. I think it's going to be huge. I think the, the, the real issue is, is I think we're going to find that different people, different countries define ethics in different ways. 
Like some say, hey, all your data is mine. Some of them say, no, data is very private as we're seeing in the world today. So that could get interesting. What do you wish you would have known when you started out? I mean, one of the things I remember very specifically um, being asked when we when I was first starting out in the space was like, well, tell me, you know, what, what are the use cases? What are the applications? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I you really didn't know, um, you know, how it was exactly going to be leveraged and you could hypothesize and you could brainstorm, um, you know, but it would have been if somebody had that crystal ball back then that could have said, you know, this is going to be how it's all going to play out. And these are the use cases to go after and the things to focus on. That would have been very, you know, very interesting. I guess we needed Warren Buffett. <laughs> Well, what do you work towards in your free time? I mean, what do you do for fun is essentially that question. I've always loved a little bit, a healthy dose of DIY. So my husband and I have collectively renovated, um, I think, about five houses now. Wow. So that's been a professional that's more than a, hobby, that's right? More than a D, <laughs> that's more than a do-it-yourself, five houses. That's a, that's a, so. that's another, that's a side hustle. <laughs> well, we've lived in all of them, so oh, so it's not okay. quite quite the same. But um, yes, it, it's it's certainly a, a fun fun thing to do together. Now, do you actually do the manual labor yourself, or is it more I hire this out and you're the decorator and get things done the way you want it? So you know, it's shifted, admittedly, a little bit over the years. <laughs> we yeah. we started out doing everything um, ourselves and learned how to do a lot of interesting things. And you know, over the last couple of years, it's been a little bit more strategic what we do ourselves versus what we um, hire out. But there's still a healthy dose of DIY. We've been using our time, you know, hold up with COVID nineteen to yeah. to repaint and renovate. <laughs> so, really. So is this a, uh, a, a an episode of Flip It then? <laughs> you, you could go that way. Yeah. I mean, you do it. I mean, you get them all nice and they say, all right, time to sell and start all over again. Yeah. I mean, hopefully not. Hopefully we're, we're settled for a little while, but it, we have done that. Well, it sounds like five, five houses. Then you must be kind of in that little uh, MO. I did that with my last house. Got it all fixed up. First thing I did is sell it. Like, I don't know why I would do that. <laughs> I don't know. Something's wrong with me. What is the book that you've most commonly recommended? Your favorite book? I love reading, I, but I unfortunately have an affinity for fiction. <laughs> That's okay. Give us a fiction book. Um, I've loved all the Dan Brown books. Yeah. Um, da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons. I've read every single one of those. If there's one thing that I've learned about you in, in both the questions that got us here and then the questions about you is that you seem to like problem solving, like like working with things, seeing something from start to finish. Same reason why you're fixing up houses. You get to see the before and the after. Makes sense on the roadmap creation. I'm the same way. I'm a problem solver at, at core. So uh, look, from one problem solver to another, thank you for being on the, the podcast. We greatly appreciate your, your insight and... Um, Anything that you want to say to, to, to sign off? Anything you want to leave us with? Really appreciate your time and the opportunity to be on the podcast. I will say as a, as a continual innovator, when you look to innovate, don't ask who's done it before. Because if someone else has done it before, you're not actually innovating. <laughs> so think, think to do something outside the box um, that hasn't been done before is the definition right, of innovation. Fantastic. That's a great sign off. Thank you for being here, Christine. I, I greatly appreciate it. Good luck to you and Proficient in the future. 
Thank you. Appreciate your time. Listeners, thank you again for listening. I'll see you next time on the podcast. As always, let us know how we're doing. Al Martin Hawks data at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Please give us a, a review. We'd appreciate it. Thanks again. See you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Out.